I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast in which two movies with something in common go head to head to see which one does it better. On this episode, in the red corner, as the saying goes, if you put an infinite number of rage-infected monkeys in a room with an infinite number of typewriters, they'll eventually produce the script for a London-based post-apocalyptic viral outbreak movie. Just don't call it a zombie movie. From 2002, it's Danny Boyle's 28 Days Later. So who are you? Wake up today in hospital. Wake up and I'm, I'm hallucinating. I've got some bad news. They're infected. Infected. Father. Infected with yes. While in the blue corner, one man went to mow, mowed down some dark seekers. One man and his dog mowed down some dark seekers. Will Smith is our man in Manhattan, trying to figure out how to fill his days when everyone else is dead or a dodgy CGI monster. From 2007, it's I Am Legend. I'm not, I'm not infected. I'm not infected. Please. Nothing happened the way it was supposed to happen. Six billion people on Earth when the infection hit. I'm a survivor living in New York City. I will be at the South Street Seaport every day at midday when the sun is highest in the sky. So what connects these two movies and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken! Hello, Clash Potters. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. And welcome to another remote record of the now legendary podcast Clash of the Titles. This week, as you just heard, the movies we're doing are I Am Legend and 28 Days Later. They were picked by our very own Christopher Tilly. Chris, tell us about why you picked these movies. Uh, I think you only have to look outside the window. The empty (laughs) streets that we see uh, got me thinking about both of these movies, uh, particularly uh, 28 Days Later, 
But in terms of connections, was there any stuff that you guys noticed? Vicky? Uh, I've, I've only got one. I think it's good. I think it's worth it. So it's unusual but highly effective solutions to gridlock traffic in iconic cosmopolitan centres. Oh, I just read an article about this, Victoria. I'll email you afterwards. It's fascinating. It's been transformative, the coronavirus situation to city centres. It has. I can see it with my own eyes. I've got one. Are these both movies which have a strange oral fascination? There's a lot of close-ups of mouths in them. Big mouths, gaping mouths, things coming out of mouths. Is it mouths? Did you notice the mouth thing, Vicky? Are we talking about the same things? No, I didn't notice any mouths. Okay, let me explain, just in case that sounds a little bit left field. Did you watch the porn versions of these two films? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> I'm not going to go there, but I, I have uh, I have come up with some porn titles for these based on that, but I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it, because you know why? We're a family show. The dark, the dark Seeker's mouths open incredibly wide, and there's a lot of shots of wide Dark Seeker mouths. And then in 28 Days Later, there's a lot of like vomiting of blood on anyone uh, and anything. Yeah, okay. Fine, I got a better one. I got a better one. Movies which approach the subject of deserted streets in the way most suited to their country. Will Smith races around New York in a muscle car with an automatic <laughs> rifle. Killian Murphy goes for a stroll with a plastic bag full of pop. <laughs> I love the bit where he asked for a tango. It's so weird. <laughs> he didn't like Lilt. He didn't want Lilt. I know where he's coming from. What an oh, idiot. come on. Pineapple, pineapple and grapefruit. It's delicious. It's a so totally refreshing. tropical taste. Well, they're both films where the alternate ending was better than the one that was actually used. Uh, but we will get to that. Uh, but no, the overarching connection is they're both uh, Last Men on Earth movies. Well, they're not really, are they? Well, that's how they start out. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, fine. <laughs> so, do you want to do that I'm... bit again? Do you want to do that bit again where you say... Both movies are Last Man of Earth movies at the start. Yeah, I'm no, sorry I'm... to be a dick about it, but can we have Last Person? Sorry, just yeah. let's just get that done. All right, Last Person, please. Do you want to jump in there, Chris? Redo that. I thought they were both men. <laughs> are they not men? <laughs> <laughs> did I miss? Did I miss a plot twist? <laughs> you were talking about alternate endings. It's a hell of an ending. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, you didn't watch them then, Chris. You just talk about. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The alternate ending. Oh. Uh, Alex, you had 28 days later. Do you want to kick it off? I shall. This week, I was given 28 days later, which I rented from three different streaming sites, searching for a version that was a reasonable viewing quality for a total of £10.47 before discovering that there is no good quality version because Danny Boyle shot the whole thing on his Nokia 3210 or something, which made me very... <laughs> angry, which in turn put me in the perfect frame of mind to watch a movie about rage, although I still feel Boyle owes me a tenner, and that kind of anger never recedes. The blood. There's something in the blood. Someone, you never go anywhere alone unless you've got no choice. Hello? Any travel during daylight, unless you've got no choice. See, this is a really shit idea. You know why? This is obviously a shit idea. We have to leave now. More will be coming. They always do. The dead.
and you're gonna be next. I will say um, that uh, the DVD special edition that I ordered 28 days later is due to arrive any minute. Um, <laughs> so if you if you hear a knock in the background or I disappear for 30 seconds, it's me um, picking up a DVD I will never watch. <laughs> it's like that is literally like the Christian Bale line in American Psycho. I I need to return some video cassettes. <laughs> and we will be getting to that as well. Uh so, um memories then of 28 days later. Um how do you guys remember this film, Vicky? I remember I've seen it once before and Obviously, like everybody else, I remember the beginning and I'd completely forgotten the end. And I was a bit surprised by it this time round. Um, I would just, my memory, it just goes up to Westminster Bridge. And then I didn't remember a single thing. I didn't remember the M602 or anything. Um, but that, you know, the shot of Westminster Bridge is very, you know, it's iconic. It stayed with me as I suspect it has for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And that's about um, the same as mine. I'll elaborate a bit further. But Chris, what about you? Yeah, I think it was quite exciting. Danny Boyle was making a horror film. I think there's horror elements in a lot of his movies, actually, but this was his first sort of out-and-out horror. So that was exciting. Um, the fact that it was set in the UK and London was exciting. I remember seeing it in the cinema. And it was kind of cool. It was launching this new actor that none of us really knew as well in the lead. Um, and, yeah, I remember that opening scene. I, I, I've watched that opening scene a few times since, but I've only watched the film that once, that, that first time in the cinema. So I agree with... Um... Both of you. For me, I didn't remember any of the movie, like UV. I um, literally had, he walks around London. It's deserted. They shot it at five in the morning. That was it. Uh, but I do also remember what you remember, Chris, about the release of this film at the time. And what a phenomenon it was. It was a really talked about movie, largely, I think, because it was a Danny Boyle movie and it was a Danny Boyle horror movie, uh, but also because... Fast zombies. Yeah. Uh, although we'll get on to whether they're zombies or not. This was the first really big movie that actually had fast, in inverted commas, zombies. Um, so that was a huge part of my memory of this. But also being a little bit annoyed because I remember watching interviews at the time where Danny Boyle really refused to acknowledge that this was a zombie movie. So let's deal with the fact that this is, without a doubt, a zombie movie. Right or wrong? Um, correct. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. It, it, it plays with all the tropes of a zombie movie um, and the visuals. And if it isn't a zombie movie, that kind of screws up my quiz at the end of this podcast. So it's definitely <laughs> a zombie movie. <laughs> no, I think I just saw a couple of interviews where... They they sort of they never use the Z word and they talk about it being a psychological virus, this virus inspired by social disorder, this virus inspired by real world events. The civil war in Sierra Leone was mentioned a lot, and also people's fear of Ebola at the time and mad cow disease and this general fear of getting ill, which is all fine. And I think those reasons for the movie to exist are great and it does tap into those, but it seemed like they were going out of the way, the filmmakers around the time of its release to say this is a, a very relevant and topical movie, which zombie movies can be, but without ever acknowledging the roots of the film, which Alex Garland's script and Alex Garland is a huge zombie fan. Yeah, I, I think they just should have said that this is our iteration, you know? They, they, they don't move slowly. They're not eating brains. Um, but aside from that, 
yeah, this is our version and then move on rather than, yeah, I've, I agree with you, Alex. It felt like it was a bit sort of disrespectful. Yes, especially when you look at Alex Garland, who um, he wrote the script. It was his first feature film script. And in case you just don't know who Alex Garland is, I had firsthand experience of seeing his name everywhere because I was actually traveling in Thailand in 1997, <laughs> the year after the bloody beach came out and every <laughs> bloody person you came across on the Kosan Road where the beach opens in Thailand was reading a copy of the bloody beach. I didn't read it because I was waiting for the movie to come out. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's my first experience of Alex Garland. That's how he met Danny Boyle and the, um, Danny's producer, Andrew McDonald. And he approached them after that with this script, which he said... It was based on his love of the genre. He was playing a lot of Resident Evil at the time. He loved George Romero's movies, Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. And he was also inspired by Day of the Triffids, which um, leads us nicely into the opening of the film in the hospital. Would oh, you talk, like to talk about Alex, any... You've, you, you've, Go on. You've, you've missed the opening of the film. <laughs> oh, God, I'm so sorry. You're absolutely right. <laughs> How could I forget when a bunch of scientists clockwork orange a monkey? <laughs> <laughs> but it is very clever because I'd forgotten how it starts. And so obviously I'm like, oh, it's a montage. It's the aftermath of a virus. No, it's not. It's just fucking awful human beings. Aren't we terrible? And that is a good reverse. Yeah, but it's, it seems to be. It's a weird one because I always thought that my memory of it was bloody scientists experimenting on animals. But David Schneider playing the perfect David Schneider role, <laughs> it's literally as though they gave lines to the train driver at the end of Mission Impossible and went, you're a scientist now. But he goes... I, I did, do you not think it's problematic having David Schneider play that role mm. as it was in Mission Impossible because it just completely takes you out of the movie in Mission Impossible. And here, it just made everyone laugh in the cinema seeing his funny face. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I guess internationally, we don't, they don't know David Schneider as David Schneider, but I mean, I guess the bit where he goes, they're infected with rage. <laughs> I was like, oh, That could be out of the day to day, no. couldn't it? <laughs> in order to cure, you must first understand. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> no, don't open it. Yeah, he, um, he, yeah, I know what you mean, but he does also say that these, it makes it sound like they discovered these monkeys that were infected with rage and they're trying to understand what what the disease is to be able to cure it. It doesn't sound that they've been in, it's not like a military grade weapon that they've tried to inject in the monkey. It's not, it's not something human designed, is it? I don't think they ever make that clear. I think it is. I think they have, I think he says they've been infected with rage, which to me implies mm. that it's something that's been put into their bodies. Right. Yeah. That would explain all the videos because they're like, they're trying to social disorder and they're trying to cure society's rage. Maybe it's some sort of like chemtrails, like population suppressant. Yeah. I, I don't know what that means, but I think it sounds right. Uh, chemtrails, I'm not going to do it, but chemtrails, you should look up Vicky. I, I, I think probably now in the current, uh, where we are, they're being used more than ever. Okay. I'm in, I'm on the hook. I'm interested. Okay. Well, that's it. That's my little pitch. I'm not going to go into it because we could do an entire podcast about chemtrails. And you want to talk about Killian Murphy's winky. 
I do actually. <laughs> I do. I do. I think it's such a shame that the hospital that Killian Murphy wakes up in doesn't appear to issue gowns as standard. So that he's mm. got to be completely naked. Why is he yep. completely naked? I don't yeah, get it. Especially because it's a head wound. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> what sort of weird doctor did he have? If, yeah. You know, this this viral outbreak probably saved him being fiddled with on the operating table. <laughs> I think I read that he wasn't initially going to be naked, but when Danny, but when he was cast, because he's so skinny, Danny Boyle thought it would it would be a good look to show how emaciated he had become because he's naturally that skinny. But he could have pants on. Yeah, I'm I mean, going to say it's just an excuse to see his winky, isn't it? But this is this is my this is my particular brand of feminism. If that was a female actor, you know how furious I would be, and I'm still a bit furious about it, even though it's Killian Murphy. You don't sound that angry, power- Vicky. You really no, don't. I know. <laughs> I don't sound as angry as I normally do. But <laughs> just having a naked actor when it doesn't call for nakedness is it feels exploitative, even if it's a man. I mean, it's weird you saying that now because because we're recording remotely. I can see your screensaver on your computer, and it's <laughs> it's Killian Murphy on a <laughs> instantly recognisable because they're so emaciated. Yeah, he's piercing blue balls. Yeah, that's the one. He's twinkly balls. Why not? When we first did this record last week, I thought it would be a video chat, and I got dressed. I got properly dressed up. I wore a shirt and tie. Did you? And I was so gutted when there was no video. I just just to get dressed for once in the last three weeks. <laughs> yeah. Let's bring it back to that hospital scene that I was going to start with incorrectly, as it turns out. Uh, Killian Murphy wakes up in a hospital. He is uh, completely naked, and um, this was inspired uh, by the hospital scene. Um, that begins the day of the Triffids, uh, which Alex Garland admits that's where he got the idea of him waking up in this hospital after the event has already taken place. The key under the door was my first point of interest. It looks like, you know, he finds the key on the floor by the door. Mm. Yeah. Is that because, I'm assuming that's because in an act of uh, goodwill, the last person out of the operating theatre, because they know he's unconscious and doesn't stand a chance, has locked him in there for his own safety. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. I just I thought that was quite interesting, you know, that in the as society is breaking down, someone went, this would be a good thing to do for a man mm. in... Um, you know, it almost compensates for us undressing him entirely. <laughs> Um, you, you, you'd said it was inspired by the day of the Triffids, and that and that's obviously right. I think he wakes up and he's blind, or he's got a blindfold on because everyone's been blinded in the hospital because of a meter at the start of that film. But I also think it's it's weirdly um, specifically copied in Walking Dead, which um, that's the opening scene of the TV series, and in the comic book uh, that launched um, a year later after this film came out and has exactly the same opening, which I feel like is a bit almost too obvious a steal. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I was I, I thought about Walking Dead, but I mean, I, I wonder if there are limited ways in which you can wake up after an outbreak mm-hmm. and it'd be a bit of a shock to you. I mean, you have to be in a coma or like literally unconscious for X amount of time for this to happen. Has mm-hmm. he been unconscious for 28 days? Is that what they're alluding to? No, I don't think so. Oh, I mean, it's 28 well. days after the monkey thing happened. So I, yeah, he's, yeah, he's either been unconscious for 28 days or any time longer than that but because he seems completely unaware of any aspect of the outbreak of social disorder 
which I'm pretty sure happens shortly after the monkeys because it spreads damn fast. So it just seems strange that it's all new to him unless he'd been, you know, in a coma for at least some, like, you know, a large portion of the 28 days, which yeah, I guess right. could, it could be the case because he's got a head injury, which could have caused that. Yeah, yeah. that's true. I don't think what I'm saying is I don't think he was just it, it, like he didn't go in for like an operation and has just been under for eight hours. No. Good. I'm glad we sorted that out. That was my main point. I don't actually have any other notes. I just really wanted to get the timeline of Killian Murphy's um, operation down. Do we feel like we've covered that? Yes. As long as everyone's happy, because I've got more. But I think I think we sort of reached an agreement on it. Yes. <laughs> so, um. Uh, while we're talking about Alex Garland and his inspiration for that scene, he did also initially in the first script uh, want to make the zombies, not zombies, but zombies, the infected, quite slow, uh, as you would normally find in a movie. And it was Danny Boyle who said, uh, it was my idea to make them fast because I thought they were more terrifying. We've had this conversation before. Just as a reminder, where does everyone stand on the slow versus fast zombie front? I'm fast zombies. I knew. I, I know. Yeah. Uh, slow zombies are better, but I have no preference. I, I, I don't care either way. Excellent. Uh, I, too, am a fast zombie fan, although, you know, with a nod of the head and a tip of the hat to the original slow-moving zombies, I just think being chased by something at speed is scary, full stop, as any joggers in my local park have found out on my dog walks. They look <laughs> terrified. <laughs> Has he bitten anyone yet? <laughs> not, no, not yet, not yet. Not for lack of trying, though. Yeah, but, matter uh, of time, you know, eh? Keep working on time, it. Yeah. Once he gets a taste for flesh, there, that'll be the end of it. And him. So, dark days ahead. So, Killian Murphy walks out of the hospital and we get the most iconic scenes in the movie. Not necessarily uh, the best scenes, but the most iconic scenes, which is him walking around a deserted London do we want to talk about how they film that? It is common knowledge, but I guess it's worth talking about, Chris. Uh, if you can do it in a sentence. They filmed it at dawn at 15-minute intervals and shut roads for a few minutes here and there, and they also had to shoot it on their Nokia phones because the big normal cameras would have taken too long to uh, set up. So that's why I say Nokia phones. It was mini-DV cameras, the first uh, mass-released, uh, large-release movie that ever used mini-DV cameras to um to shoot uh for speed and um and as Danny Boyle says a kind of kinetic energy to uh the scenes and uh for <laughs> camera fans they were Canon XL1s uh a couple of years later I actually watched uh I went to the set of V for Vendetta and I saw them in the middle of the night do something similar to this they shut down Parliament Square so they could have an army of, of, of people in those um, those masks uh, marching at Parliament Square. And it was pretty dramatic and impressive watching it all. But the funniest thing was when they would when they would have to stop and let the traffic through, it was like three in the morning, and there would be pissed people on the night bus just looking around open-mouthed <laughs> at this army <laughs> marching <laughs> towards the government. <laughs> very funny. <laughs> um, on this, they 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 said they said that um, the 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 film crew uh, were constantly asking clubbers who were emerging like blinking eyed into the dawn uh, to not walk through shot. But um, yeah, it does it does look impressive. You've got Westminster Bridge, Horse Guard Parade, Horse Guard Parade, Pall Mall, St Paul's, um, Charing Cross Road, which looks very different. Fifth, what nearly twenty years later, doesn't it? 
Um, Are you talking about the spearmint rhino? No, it's um, center point, isn't it? Where they've completely, oh, yeah. um, it's just oh, completely yeah. rebuilt it. So it's almost like a, a little time capsule as well of what London yeah, looked like. Yeah, and he walks around in a big circle. For a bicycle courier, he doesn't know his way around zone one. You don't need to go oh, to God. St. Paul's to get to Tottenham Court Road, am I right? The geography of the star is terrible. Also, like how long it takes him to get certain places. You're like, really? Deptford in 15 minutes? Piss off. <laughs> Completely agree. I also <laughs> find it difficult that he's... He, Killian Murphy shouts hello a lot in this film. Uh, more or less, uh, whenever he shouldn't, he shouts hello. But did you not feel like he was walking around Westminster shouting hello like it was his own house? You know, like when you come in and it's unexpectedly empty, <laughs> and you're like, hello? Because you own the place. <laughs> but, but to walk around Trafalgar Square being like, hello? Hello? It's like, it's not yours. Like, something hmm. very bad has happened. You should be hiding. Yeah, he walks around with... Um, you're almost grateful when he finally makes it into that church and we get our first look at the infected because you're like, see? Danger, Killian. Danger. Yeah. Shut your mouth. <laughs> I actually interviewed him a year after this movie um, for the film Intermission. I did him and Colin Farrell together. I love Intermission. Oh, yeah? That is a brilliant film that no one talks about. No, a future episode. Now, I, um, I, I'd never obviously met Killian Murphy, um, and so I didn't know his name was Killian. And I went, "Nice to meet you, Cillian." <laughs> and Colin Farrell went, "Cillian, <laughs> what a stupid name." <laughs> <laughs> I went through an airport once. Uh, I was obviously getting the same plane as him because he went through all the same queues that I did in front of me. And I got a, a weird insight into his life. Um, he's done a lot of really interesting movies and played a lot of great roles. But everywhere he goes, everyone says to him, are you the scarecrow from Batman? <laughs> he's very good as a scarecrow in Batman. Yeah, he, he, is. Is, he is, but he's not even in it that much. But that, that you, no. that's clearly the role that sort of kicked him over the top and that he'll just be remembered for no matter what he does. Only two years, uh, three years, sorry, after this, really. It was, this was 2002. What was Batman Begins, 2005? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Well, it, it was a, it was a star-making turn, this, wasn't it? Because he carries so much of the film on his own on his own shoulders. Well, not least uh, because of like how good he is in it, but also because it was... Um, this cost $5 million, uh, to make, a budget of $5 million, and then it made only $6 million here in the UK... But it made around fifty million in the US. It was a huge hit in America. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, deservedly so, in my opinion. But obviously, we'll get to that. Uh, so back to the movie then. Let's. Uh, um, where did we get to? So he's walking around London. He finally meets the infected. He's running from them, and we get introduced to two more characters: Naomi Harris's character and her compadre, um, a guy called Mark, uh, played by Noah Huntley. I want to say I ended up looking him up because uh, I wanted to know who he was, and turns out he plays the Burning Man in Event Horizon. Another Event Horizon mention on the show. <laughs> so. He is that guy. And then they uh, run to a petrol station uh, so that uh, the film can spend £250,000 <laughs> of its budget blowing it up. Um, yeah. Which is, um, it's good. It's a great explosion. It's a really good explosion that, and I know sometimes you need to triple check trivia. And, I, and I'm, 
I'm 90% sure this is true, but I can't find the original source from the production crew. But apparently they forgot to tell the fire brigade and the police that they were going to blow up that petrol station. So loads of fire engines turned up because they didn't realise it was a movie. And I think that what the um, you were saying last week, uh, Vicky, that the Martian got wrong. Hopefully you think they got right here. In the, uh, the Martian, he was obviously a botanist. Here, <laughs> yeah. here our hero is a bicycle courier. So he's clearly not equipped for the situation that he's been thrust into. <laughs> Which, you know, I like. I would, apart from, just skipping ahead ever so slightly, apart from the fact that he turns into a fucking lethal ninja at the end out of nowhere, um, it's, yeah, that's how that's how you should do it for me. Like, you need to be the, the, the person that's the least equipped to do it. It's weird, isn't it? He turns into, like, apparently bicycle cure careers get... Uh get training in the art of the yeah. ninja and mm. um, Naomi Harris goes from being uh, the ultimate badass yeah. to yeah. skipping gaily around a supermarket and then not doing anything at all again and waiting to be rescued. Yeah, that's So people, thing. characters do massive like 180s in this film. <laughs> yeah, basically, once she's got her pre-rape frock on, she's fucking useless. <laughs> yeah. So um, my first favourite moment um, as we're going through that really sort of like uh, piqued uh, my interest was um, when we do actually see Naomi Harris being a badass, when they visit um, Jim, Killian Murphy's parents' house, and uh, there's an attack and Mark gets bitten and Naomi Harris goes, have you been bitten? And he barely gets chance to go, uh, no, it's okay. And she's already got a machete in his neck. I was like, she don't mess around. That was, um, that was that I, I'd argue perhaps too soon. Like, it wasn't entirely clear if it was a bite. Possibly a bit careless. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. She's like, she says, or she's like, oh, I can't remember. She's like, don't get blood in your eye. Don't get blood in your mouth. Then she hacks Mark to death and there's blood everywhere. So it doesn't... Including speak- her mouth. <laughs> Including Literally, her she's mouth. got it on her lips. You're like, so this... This no blood in the mouth rule seems a bit like fast and loose, if I'm honest. A bit flexible. But as long as she as as, as long as she washes her hands for twenty seconds, she'll be fine. <laughs> it's a happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then then she she see like you sort of invest a lot in whoa, 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 Naomi Harris knows what's going on in this movie. She is the ultimate badass. And apparently there was a backstory that they never shot, um, that Danny Boyle uh, created for a character. I don't know if they ever planned to shoot it or he just sort of wrote it down so she could understand why she was so ruthless. And it's because one day she had to kill her entire family uh, all in one afternoon to protect her younger brother, who it turned out at the end was also infected. And that is why she is such a badass in this film. Although she doesn't understand the meaning of the word quiet, oh, which is a shame because when they're in the stairwell, and Killian Murphy points out that some infected have broken in below and she wants him to be quiet. She yells quiet as loud as she bloody can. <laughs> she goes, quiet! <laughs> and you're like, wait, this has got to be a joke. No? Um, you, you've skipped over the moment where Jim finds his parents as well, which I really got to me watching it this time. Um, oh, did it? I thought it was a bit of a shit flashback, if I'm honest. Um I just didn't. Not the, not the yeah. flashback, just the image of them lying in bed holding each other and holding a picture of him and, and what's oh, written do on that. you know what it was? I was really distracted by the bottle of red wine that they had because it's such a 2002 bottle. It's Stowell's. Do you remember Stowell's? Like, it's like student red wine. We don't drink it anymore, but back in 2002, obviously hitting that quite hard. Um, and it, yeah, I was just distracted by that. 
Well, why do you think they had a bottle of Stoll's? They didn't. They seemed like a fairly affluent couple. What are they yeah, doing but, drinking oh student wine? Exactly, exactly my point. I had a very long conversation with Mark about this. Would you throw some money at it, get the old Chateau Neuf de Pap out because it's the last thing you'll ever drink, or is it a waste because it's the last thing you'll ever drink? You go out in style. You spend yeah. a bit of dollar on that wine. That's exactly what I think. He wasn't sure, which says a, says a lot about our relationship, actually. But I, yeah, I think I think you spend the money. <laughs> and, and you see, Jim's parents are clutching a picture of him, and on the back they've written, uh, "With endless love, we left you sleeping. Now we're sleeping with you. Don't wake up," which I think is a really ominous uh, thing. That last line as well makes you, you know, wonder what is around the corner. Yeah, I know. Probably check, though. Don't just sort of go, don't wake up. Like, find out, you know, where are you? Why aren't you at the hospital? He's having his naked operation that day. Surely you should be there. (laughs) (laughs) If only to go, doctor, should he really be naked, our son? Yeah. Don't take that off. That wasn't the idea. Um, yeah, uh, then shortly after uh, this, we meet uh, Brendan Gleeson in possibly the most non-Brendan gleeson character I've seen him in for uh, a while. I sort of always see him as sort of gruff, like like Irish people, Irish, obviously. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was like, oh, okay. He's doing a Ray Winston impression. Yeah. Uh, Quite a bad and then his- Ray Winston impression. I mean, I, I feel like everyone thinks they can do Cockney, but I think it's harder than it looks to do a Cockney accent. And I guess they've only, they've made him Cockney because they didn't feel like they could have two Irish blokes in this story. But I think we would have been fine with that. Yeah, I agree. He starts strong. For the first five minutes, I was like, oh my God, he's nailed it. Like, he's flawless. And then it really slips when he when he has to shout or be more emotional. It really slips. Mm. Well, they started shooting with Killian Murphy having an English accent. And um, it was only after they'd started that he said, look, it might be better if I do this in my Irish accent. Uh, and Danny Boyle went, okay. And they hadn't shot that much. So he just dubbed his uh, the lines he'd been doing in an English accent back into his real accent. So he was going to be English in this. So they just had to reshoot him saying hello in a different accent. <laughs> uh, Killian, you're going to have to get your cock out again. But I don't understand why I had to do it the first time. <laughs> we, if you want to do it as an Irishman, we need to have your Irish cock on camera. <laughs> Paint it green. <laughs> um, we also meet um, uh, Brendan Gleeson's daughter, who pretty much speaks like the Red Queen in Resident Evil. Like every line she says sounds a bit like, "You're all going to die down here," which I quite enjoyed. I couldn't place her accent at all. Where was she supposed to be from? Were people holding up cue cards? Because it did sound like she was reading all her lines. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. But they do bring a little bit of um, heart hmm. to proceedings, their father-daughter relationship. Um, and uh, they all escape together in a taxi. And this is sort of where we're building up to the the climax, really, of the first half of this movie, because it really is a movie of two halves. Um, but um, they drive through a tunnel, and I, I wasn't a fan of that scene because they all get giddy when they're driving over some broken-down cars and shards of metal in this cab. They're all like, woo, oh, this is a bit fun, isn't it, wobbly ride? And you're like, what the hell? Like, this is terrifying. You should be scared. Like, And also, you're going to get a flat tyre, and you shouldn't be enjoying it. And the only way for that to work is if they hadn't got a flat tire at the end and you're like, okay, I was wrong. But they yeah. do get a flat tire, which makes them more like idiots. 
It's a really good point. It's such, I presume it's right, again, not to be too bogged down in geography, but if they've walked from Deptford to a tower block, probably, what is that tunnel? The Rotherhide Tunnel? The Blackwall Tunnel? I went Blackwall in my head. In which case, just go fucking round. It's not such a big deal. You're heading for the M1 before the M6 onto the 602, correct? Go round. (laughs) But to be fair to them, they do have that discussion in the film. They just make the wrong decision. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. uh, Jim's our guy which Jim's sort of speaking for the audience saying this is a bad idea he says it about four times maybe um, that's why he yeah. takes two days to get to Lancashire rather than four hours because there's no traffic <laughs> there's no traffic it will take you four hours for sure yeah, I just think it could be a scene that's pl- like that ratchets up the tension instead of sort of some weird kind of like oh are we gonna make it like, I didn't I didn't I didn't enjoy it Agreed. that said it does climax with the whole flat tire sequence and the rats and the infected appearing. And I think that's really good. Are they going to get the tire on in time? The rest of it. But again, I think it misses a trick when as they're driving off and the infected are chasing them, just run, keep, keep those infected running till the very end of the scene. Like they are so full of rage. They're just going to chase and chase and chase. And they don't like the cab drives off and then they sort of go, oh, we're not going to catch that. Have a sit down. This is a bit rubbish. (laughs) And I had a question for you, Alex. You're you're a pretty strong guy. Um, Do you think two men could to could push that taxi up in the air like they do? Um, Are you the other man in this scenario? (laughs) Uh, Potential. I guess. I guess. Yeah, you're you're you've got the similar build to Brendan Gleeson, and I'm a bit like Killian Murphy. So yes. (laughs) Could could we do that? Could we lift up a taxi? I found that a little bit far fetched. I'm Killian Murphy, okay? <laughs> Just I'm Killian Murphy in this scenario. And yeah, I reckon I mean if you did most of the work, yeah, for sure we could. <laughs> like I mean, I have been um doing a, a few weights uh to uh, get myself through this isolation. Have you? In spite of your dead Yeah, I waited Waited for the dog to come back the other day oh, for about two hours oh. in the park. Okay, <laughs> it's a weight joke. And <laughs> I'm really not doing well in isolation. Uh, so, uh, the infected chase them. Then they get on. Then they get to one of my favourite moments in the movie. Um, oh no, not yet. Then they do. Then they get to the bit where they just do a load of stupid stuff. Mm. Um, and you're waiting for Naomi Harris to go. Hey, remember how I knew it a lot at the start, and I was keeping us alive, and I've stayed alive. I'm going to forget all that, and I'm going to say. I'm going to let Killian Murphy go wander around a, a garage on his own, which is stupid. I'm going to let us camp outside mm. at night, which is stupid. I'm going to not have a word with the little girl when she races a taxi towards a petrol tanker for <laughs> no reason. And you're like, why are you all actively trying to die? Yeah, and you're putting 20 minutes into the film that are completely unnecessary as well. T- turning mm. Turning a solid sort of... 90 100 minute movie into a two-hour film yeah i don't see why it's not it's not dangerous sorry it's not dangerous to have a shopping spree in budgeons without securing the doors or whatever but it is dangerous to get petrol from the tanker because of the sort of the sense of threat in that scene also park the car next to the tanker no (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, but then we could also um, we could also have missed out on the the wonderful Valium subplot because no kid yeah. ever has gone. Oh, please, Dad, please can I have some Valium? Like, you yeah. know, it's not like it's, can I have can I have a sip of your beer? Sure, can I have a bit of Valium, Dad? <laughs> what? What is this? Is this all for the payoff later, where like she gets given Valium to space her out, which is also unnecessary? But I was a bit like. What is happening? It's Why is this happening? Yeah, and Killian Murphy's like, God, Brendan Gleeson, you're such a fucking stick up your ass kind of dad <laughs> that you yeah, won't let your yeah. daughter trip out on Valium. <laughs> yeah, why haven't you medicated your daughter? What is wrong with you? <laughs> oh, and then um, my least favourite line uh, comes along, which is, come on, Babe Ruth, which Naomi Harris says because Killian Murphy's got a baseball bat and you're like, Babe Ruth? Really? I don't know. I don't know about that reference. That's a Although bad reference. It is, um, That's a bad reference. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. But it is nice to see what a cab meter looks like reading 415 pounds, which is when they get close to Manchester, it, the meter reads 415 pounds. <laughs> and that's, but that is my favourite moment. Uh, one of my favourite moments when they see Manchester ablaze. Thoughts? Friday night, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, Danny Boyle has talked about the fact that they they were trying to make a film about societal rage and you know what they were seeing with road rage and and riots and this and that, but but um, you know nine eleven happened while they were making the movie and he said they kind of realised in the edit bay that it was really about the vulnerability the vulnerability of cities in a post nine eleven world. That's how he put it, and how easily these things we take for granted can just completely be destroyed or or, or broken. Um, and so I, th- I guess that's what that Manchester scene sort of represents. Yeah. There's um, the scene where there's all the missing persons uh, papers up on Piccadilly Circus. I think because I think 9-11 happened while this was actually filming. And, um, it did, yeah. People didn't realise that. And, um, and that whole scene uh, was so reminiscent of what was happening in New York that it mm. uh, sparked a little bit of controversy that um, Danny Boyle had left it in. Yeah, well. So, uh, the second half of this movie. Sorry, say that again, Chris. Life imitating art. Um, Right. But before we get into that second half, you've also got the moment with Brendan Gleeson getting blood in his eye. Oh, I'm yeah, you're right. That is that is the climax of the first half. Mm. Yeah, he gets one drop of blood in his eye, and it's enough to infect him. And then all the soldiers like pop out from the barricade, and Frank gets shot. But I did notice that Naomi Harris has got hold of the daughter who's called Hannah and rather than doing the humane thing which is to put your hand over her eyes so she doesn't see her father shot to death she sort of like makes her watch so she sort of <laughs> makes sure she's like got front row seats this is what's happening no going back now she she's got a, a, a hands either side of her head and yeah. going look look that pointing her at, <laughs> yeah, oh you don't want to miss this her. bit <laughs> I do like the fact that like Brendan Gleeson gets infected with a rage virus uh, by in a moment of uh, uncontrollable rage himself, like he gets so pissed off with the bird, he's like, "God, oh, bloody bird!" and kicks the thing like in anger, and then becomes rage infected. I thought that was a nice touch. I hadn't thought of that. That's such a good point. But I read that differently. He he's, he's angry with the bird and he's throwing a rock at it, but it's a compassionate response. It's a human response because the bird is like defiling the body of a human being. It's going to peck its eyes or whatever. So Brendan Gleeson is being extra human in that moment because he's trying to preserve uh, someone's dignity. 
Wow. See, this is why I like doing this podcast. You've both told me something I hadn't I hadn't clocked. That's deep, man. Oh, I miss you, Chris. <laughs> this is good stuff. This is liquid gold. <laughs> this seems like um, an appropriate point to talk about one of the alternate endings uh, to this because in the original script, um, and this was never filmed, so this isn't the the alternate ending that I know we're going to talk about later. This was before uh, uh, the draft emerged with the soldiers in. At this point, they weren't going to kill Frank, Brendan Gleeson. They were going to knock him out. Have you heard this uh, this final act, Chris? Is this the radical alternative ending? This, I, I think radical is a good way to put it, where they knock Brendan Gleeson out and they manage to get him to the research centre mm-hmm. where the original virus was built. So have you heard this one, Vicky? No. It's really interesting. So they they get him there and they find um, a scientist or a stranger at least who's barricaded himself in a room and he explains to them that if they want to cure Frank, then all his infected blood has to be replaced with the blood of someone who's not infected and Killian Murphy volunteers himself to do this to save Frank because of there's the father and the daughter. And so Killy Murphy gives him his blood, takes Frank's and becomes infected himself. And they leave Killian Murphy sort of wandering around the hospital, mirroring the start, but infected while they hole up as in Naomi Harris and Frank and Hannah uh, with this guy in the room to wait it out for him to starve. And that was going to be the original uh, ending, but they couldn't find a way to transfuse blood between two people without the blood mixing. So it didn't work. And that's the only reason <laughs> they didn't. I have a bit more on that, Alex, actually. So um, there's a really interesting video, which was on the DVD, which I'm still waiting to show up, but it's also on YouTube, um, where they've actually animated that ending. They've illustrated it with Danny Boyle and Alex Garland doing the voices of the script. Um, mm. And it's something, It's not. it wasn't in the original script. They were actually having trouble... Um, in the edit bay, and it's something they came up with in post-production. They were going to go back and reshoot. Um, but Danny Boyle said that because they'd established that one drop in the eye could cause um, someone to become infected, they would find it impossible to sell the fact that the transfusion would work. Um, he said it would be too hard, it would be too unbelievable to clean every capillary and vein with before mm. transfusion. Which to be honest, I feel like once you're in the movie, I I think I would have bought into that. I don't think i would have had a problem with that but the ending is actually a bit more dramatic than that so it's exactly what you said but at the ending um jim killian murphy is infected with rage he's thrashing about he's strapped to the table that they did the operation on and the monitors come on and those violent images are on the screen again and so he's in exactly the same position as the monkey was at the start of the film and and that's where it ends god yeah that's that's more bleak wow (laughs) yeah that's cool yeah, yeah, I like that. Uh, I'll post that on our Twitter yeah. account, though, at Clash Pod, though, that video, because it's really interesting. It's like a 10-minute video um, of, of drawings and illustrations with the two of them um, doing the dialogue. I remember, do you remember there was a cover, like, talking about Killian Murphy being infected, there was a cover of Time Out um, that came out around the time of release, which had Killian Murphy's face on it, infected. And I always wondered where, like, because obviously he's not infected in the final version, I wondered where that came from, mm. um, which might have been, um, might have been it, or it could just could just have been for the photo shoot. Yeah, I worked at, I worked at Time Out, and they, they tended to photograph all their covers themselves. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, if you're interested in getting hold of that time out, it's £115 on eBay. Wow, I might have it somewhere. 
That's very <laughs> handy in, in this time of unemployment. <laughs> yeah. Swap You're it welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so then we really get into um, the second half of this film, and I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come out and say this. I prefer the second half of this movie to the first uh, a lot, and a lot of that to do is to do with creepy Christopher <laughs> Eccleston, who is bloody marvelous. I have a question yeah, for good. you then. Uh, if you prefer this half to the first half. Isn't it interesting that you and Vicky yep. couldn't remember it? Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? But yeah, I had absolutely no memory of it whatsoever. Not a si- not I'd even forgotten that Christopher Eccleston was in it. Yeah, so had I. So had I. Um, but I, I, I didn't really remember the first half. I didn't remember Gren- Brendan Gleeson was in it. And I only remembered the first half because you can't forget an overturned bus in the middle of London and no one around. So mm. that, I remembered moments visually. I didn't remember the whole film because it was so long ago when I saw it. I just think this the second half feels kind of more... It's, it's, there's more drama. It's more interesting. And it's sort of going over new ground that I haven't seen before in post-apocalyptic um, like wipeout movies. Yeah, and it's also about something, isn't it? It's really about something. It's taking that approach of, you know, society breaking down rather than it just being a bunch of monsters running around. Yeah, it's it's like it's 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 like what The Walking Dead like has evolved into. Less about the zombies, more about mm-hmm. bad people and what bad people do when there are no more laws to follow. And like Eccleston going I promised them women. It's like, <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I mean, you know he's a bad one from the start. The way he ruffles Killian Murphy's hair when he's like, mm. hey, well, well you're, I'll look after you. It's like, oh, That's very whoa, creepy, isn't it? It's creepy, but it took me a while to figure it out because I think he plays it the right side of, like, um, Oh, it's just like army posho. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes, pat- yeah, patronizing uh, authority has to assume a fatherly role, even though they're not that different in age. Um, and the hair ruffle is just sort of his awkward way of making it clear that he's the patriarch, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and also, and but it's also that thing of wanting to be in with his troops. Like he's promised them women, like which he doesn't really need to do as their commanding officer, but he has done because he wants to be one of the lads because they're all lads, and he's not because of his upbringing. So it's a sort of desperation to be included in their banter. Yeah, uh, in a different movie, like it could have been played for laughs, but here it just ends up being really uncomfortable. Also, I got confused yeah. with this bit, Alex, because he promises them women, but I. I would have thought a world without women was ideal. Hey, eh, Alex, hey? Eh? Eh? I totally agree with you. When he says, what deny men do on their own, it's like, I can think of at least one thing. Um, We're all doing it at the moment. Do. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. You don't need women for that. <laughs> Who wants babies anyway? God, no. Uh, but they're sort of trying to, you know, they they talk about finding a solution and their solution is to rebuild civilization and society by having sex with this woman and this teenage this young teenage girl um but i think what's interesting about this sequence as well is that you don't actually need the zombies to be around at all this could be a film completely separate from a movie about a zombie outbreak yeah Mm. that'd be a great film Mm. yeah it's 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 an interesting it's an interesting one because you know um the one sort of source of so often in these films, like uh, the military are the the saviors, and you know, like they, you know, you, it's, it's people who are well armed, like who sort of take you in, and that is rescue. And here they subvert that, and actually the people who you expect to look after you are the worst people you could end up with. Mm. Yeah, it's really good. 
And yet there is some logic to their point of view. It might be awful and evil what they're doing, but you can equally you can see where they are coming from. Uh, no. No. <laughs> How about no? Yeah, but aren't they talking no, about no. repopulating the earth rather than letting everyone die out? I it's mean... been 28 days, Chris. <laughs> no, I agree. Days. I agree. It's, I agree. It's ridiculous that the, ta- the time frame is, is wrong. But... <laughs> oh, it's just the time frame that's wrong. Like, sanctioned gang rape isn't wrong, but the time frame is wrong. No, that's wrong, wrong, Vicky. That is always wrong. <laughs> always, always, always. That is never okay. <laughs> Um, and i think it's really interesting when they are having these almost ideological debates it doesn't quite get to that but i think it's interesting having those conversations but then it does sort of turn into a bit of almost like a haunted house movie or or a bit of a slasher stalk and slash film uh when they're running around this big house sort of chasing each other and i found that a lot less interesting than when they were sort of debating and arguing about what the right way forward was yeah, it feels yeah. a bit heavy-handed. Like the fact that the um, the girls are wearing red dresses and it's pissing down with rain, mm. um, and there's flashes of lightning. It just didn't feel, yeah, didn't feel as original as that um, that setup could have got. Mm. I agree. Yeah, I, I, ditto what you mentioned, Vicky. Killian Murphy is a, a stealth assassin. Is like what? Wait, what? what? That's new. Um, and I also really didn't like the whole. I, it didn't. I didn't. I got what they were trying to do. It didn't work for me. This idea that Naomi Harris wasn't sure if Jim was infected or not when he was like digging his thumbs into that bloke's eyes, and she pulls out the machete because she thinks he's got the rage virus. Yeah. I was like, but no, he, I, I, it didn't. It didn't. It didn't work for me. But that, I guess. Yeah. That, I guess they're trying to follow up on what Mark was saying earlier in the film when he was at the airport and he couldn't tell who, when when everyone was fighting and trampling over. People on the floor, you couldn't tell who had rage oh, and who didn't. Yeah. Um, it, it might not have quite worked here, but I think you know that is why he's he's killing people so easily. This 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 rage that's in him in us all already has come out for the first time. Yeah, uh, but the gouging of the eyes is quite uh, extreme. Is it you, Victoria, who doesn't like eyes? <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. How do you find it? I I, don't, I couldn't look. I, the minute I knew what he was doing, I just I have to. Neither close. could he. <laughs> <laughs> no, what? I can't watch it. No. I'm just praying in a scene like that that they don't augment it with the sound of like an eyeball popping because I'll throw up. Mm. Oh, you mean like like biting into a pickled egg? <laughs> like that kind, of, yeah, yeah. Mm, that kind of thing. Yeah, like that. That happens right. in the film uh, Hostel. Uh, a girl gets her eye popped. And mm-hmm. sort of pus really? comes out of it, and Jesus I remember Eli Eli Roth was calling it the eye gasm scene because this white oh, pus sort of flew out of it. <laughs> oh, <God. sighs> uh, any more for any more, or shall we get onto the bits? Do you want to do the alternate endings, Chris? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, I'll, I'll be brief, but the ending of this we should say the ending of of this film first. Um, so Killian Murphy gets shot point blank by Chris Eccleston. <laughs> Uh, but escapes in a taxi uh, with the two women and they operate on him and save him. It's, we're sort of told in a brief flashback. And then they have this quite jolly ending where they're living in a lovely house on the coast and there's aircraft going by and they're going to be saved, which I don't know. It feels weirdly tacked on and maybe it is based on, on the alternate ending, but 
Maybe audiences yeah. demanded yeah. a happy ending after what they've been they through. They did. They absolutely did. That is literally what happened, though. They test, uh, they did test screenings of the original ending, um, which I was on. It was strange. I didn't even expect to see it. But at the end of the version I watched, the whole credits ran, and then the alternate ending was just sitting there at the very end of this uh, this film, which is where he gets shot. They run to the hospital, and they can't save him, and he just dies on a hospital gurney, and then. Naomi Harris and Hannah basically kick out, kick open the doors, both holding weapons, and disappear off down the corridor. And the um, intention, I think Danny Boyle said, was to be kind of uplifting. Although Killian Murphy's dead, he mm. saved them, and they're they're going on to you know get out there and live their lives or whatever. But audiences, I think, and I would have done as well, just sort of went, oh, they're going to go and get killed. They're going to die now. It's kind of bleak and Killian Murphy's dead and it's kind of depressing. But it is their preferred ending. Killian Murphy, and Jim ends ends where he started the film, doesn't he, in that version? So what he's on a hospital yeah. bed, which, I again, I like yeah. that circularity. And they also, they, they shot a version of the actual ending just with the two women living on that house on the coast and with the yes, with the aircraft yeah, going by which feels wrong as well yeah i um I, it, but that that one where jim dies in the hospital is um, like i said danny Boyle and alex garland's preferred ending to mm. this they they wanted that one but um, audiences said no thank you um i i don't know i quite liked i quite liked a little bit of an uplifting ending personally um after everything that had gone before but yeah shall we do the bits yeah all right, right. Let's start with you, Christopher. Who? What is? Let's do best scene first. Best scene. What's your best scene, Chris? I am going for the uh, the scene in Empty London uh, for all the reasons we've discussed before. Uh, because I'd go so far as to say it's one of the greatest scenes in British cinema. Whoa. Okay. Was the quality all right on your version? Uh I'm still waiting for my DVD to arrive. Uh, but but Tim, you've watched it though. What did yeah. you want? Did you, I just, I, I know, I know it sounds stupid. I genuinely got into an interesting conversation with myself about whether it's uh, <clears throat> the size of my TV because I, I watched <laughs> some of it. I know I didn't want to say it, but you know, I watched a lot of stuff. So I treated myself to quite a big TV and I wondered whether that made it look even worse. Cause it looked worse than I actually remember it looking. No. And then I watched some of it on my laptop and it looked a little bit better, mm. but I might've just been clutching at straws of hope. Yeah, no, that's what it looks like. I mean, digital films that were shot at that time do look like that, which is weird. It's quite hard. It takes, it does take you out of the movie to begin with. It takes a while to adjust. Um, Miami Vice mm. looks weird. Uh, in that way as well, the, the Michael Mann movie of that. So, yeah, you mm. wasted your money, I think, Alex. <laughs> it's just what it looks like. Also, you forgot yep. to call uh, band name Straws of Hope. There you go. Oh, come on. Yeah. That's great. Oh. All right, Victoria, what's your best scene? Um, I'd, obviously, I do love the opening. But I think the film gets a bit pleased with itself for, you know, oh, look, empty streets, like a lot in the first half of the film. Um so my best scene is going to be when Christopher Eccleston turns up for the formal dinner at the barracks and it's candle lit, but there's like a shitload of candles and he's in full military dress to have like a feast, but it's spam and peas and powdered eggs and whatever else. And that for me, because that's the first time I twigged that 
actually these lot are fucking nuts and something very bad is going to happen and it's just because of the the performance um of the ritual of the dinner under the circumstances is the oddest weirdest thing so that's my best scene yeah i love that scene as well um i like christopher eccleston's death because i i can always tell how much a character has affected me by how fist pumping their death is when it eventually arrives and he got a double fist pump on my sofa so that <laughs> means that he was a great character who i was happy to see killed um so it's either that or when naomi harris kills mark a split second after she realizes he's infected and he's like no wait <laughs> dead one of those two mvc chris Oh, MVW, sorry, most valuable, whatever. Is it a character? Mine's a C this week. Uh, I'm going for Mailer. Were you guys a fan of Mailer? Which one was he? So Mailer is the zombie that was held prisoner and starved to death and then gets his revenge. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I like the little arc that he had. And I very much enjoyed yeah. him killing his uh, soldier uh, brethren. It was a good plan that Christopher Eccleston had, though. He clearly wasn't that mad because he was like, he's here to tell us how long it takes an infector to starve to death. And you're like, that's actually a solid plan. Well done, yeah. Christopher Eccleston. Shame that you're nuts. <laughs> Vicky, MVW. So uh, Sergeant Mitchell, um, played by Ricky Harnett. Um, he's the soldier that calls everyone a cunt all the time. <laughs> um, and I just think by the time you get to the barracks in the film, a lot of the performances, although they're very good, um, I just feel like you've spent a lot of time seeing like Naomi Harris be like hardened and battle weary and Killian Murphy like slightly confused by everything and Sergeant Mitchell just goes off like a firework like and also I do think that's what soldiers are actually like although obviously I've never met one um so yeah he just stood out to me um I'd like to say a quick hello to all our listeners in the armed forces uh you're doing a great job out there thanks very much <laughs> I, I'm going to pick um, Christopher Eccleston, uh, obviously. I think he's just brilliant. And um, as I said, uh, I know that Robert Carlyle was considered for that role, which I weirdly would have been very interested in seeing. But it's nice to see Christopher Eccleston uh, being the guy who isn't crawling around uh, the loft in a Danny Boyle movie. <laughs> yeah, Killian Murphy gets to do that in this one. Uh, so yeah, Christopher Eccleston. Finally, what would you change, Chris? It's funny, I totally imagine Robert Carlyle in the role of the mysterious man they meet in that radi- radical alternative ending. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is quite similar to the role he plays in The Beach, actually, sort of in another room and he doesn't won't really come and speak to them or look at them. But um, no, and why yeah. I said that is because I would have used that radical alternative ending. I think people could have suspended their disbelief um, that this transfusion could happen and work. And I just think it would have um, been a much more interesting ending. I, I, the, I, for me, I don't enjoy the army stuff as much as the stuff that comes before that for... I can't put my finger on why, but it just feels like such a such a it, it's such a different film to the one that you sort of signed up for at the beginning um, that it loses me a little bit. So yeah, I would have gone that route. Victoria, uh, what I would change is I would like this film to feel more claustrophobic and not less claustrophobic. And I do like the bit. I'd like the fact that their escape vehicle is a black cab. But can we have the barracks and the sort of the place of the destination uh, just somewhere outside the M25 so we don't go down 
the M6, which is totally, totally empty. And we don't sleep in a ruined abbey for no reason. And it sort of opens up the whole feel of the film. And it doesn't make it seem less, uh, more scary, sorry. It makes it seem less threatening because there's this huge swathes of vast open green space as well, um, which is the nicest thing in the world. So it doesn't seem as tense. So I would just try and keep it in London and, and pick across London, like level by level, you know, like zone by zone and move through like that. That's a good idea. I like that. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, yeah, I'd change. Um, it's uh, it's probably not as um, as detailed as yours, uh, Vicky. I'd change Killian Murphy's coat because it's massive on him. <laughs> I mean, it's huge. Not just because he's like lost weight at the hospital, but like the sleeves are too long for him. And then I remembered that he'd actually gone to his house to pick up clothes. <laughs> so that's his coat. <laughs> it's not like he's found it. He picked that out and went, that coat that's too big for me. I'll probably wear that. I'm like, don't wear that. It's too big for you. So I didn't like his coat. <laughs> Okay. And we are done with 28 Days Later. All right. It's time to move on to the second movie, I Am Legend. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So, Chris, you gave Victoria I Am Legend, I'm guessing, seeing as I hope so. 28 days later. Yeah. Yeah. Victoria, take us away. So, we've got stockpiling, paranoia, bacon, but only for special occasions, Shrek on repeat, and a slide into despair. No, it's not my house during lockdown. I eat a shitload of red meat whenever I want, but it's 2007's I Am Legend, starring Will Smith as the loneliest man in the world, apart from his great dog, and do mannequins count? I mean, I suppose if they're sexy enough, and this chick, this mannequin, she's fit as fuck, and don't take my word for it. Ask the bloke chatting her up in a record store every day of her life, yeah? Ask Will Smith, yeah, he knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's it. Are you having a breakdown, Vicky? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I, don't, uh, I just, I don't know. I walked to Sainsbury's the other day and it's five minutes away and I was like, this is so far because I haven't been anywhere for like two weeks. Oh dear. Anyway, there you go. Everything about that upset me. It's sad, isn't it? It's really sad. (laughs) And I was a little bit drunk and I only went in there to get one bottle of red wine and then I realised that that is not the done thing anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I had to buy shitloads of stuff I don't even want or need to not look like a pissed nightmare in Sainsbury's. (laughs) was this before you watched i'm legend was this uh to prepare i think it might have been yeah (laughs) the government is silent we don't know who or what is causing this nothing happened the way it was supposed to happen there's so much chaos after the outbreak i'm a survivor living in new york city god didn't do this we did. No! I can help you! I can fix this! Let me save you! No! So did everyone see this film in the cinema? I can't remember. I misremembered the ending a lot, um, which I will talk about. I mean, I remember seeing it. I remember thinking it was brilliant. I love Will Smith in it, but I just, uh, yeah, my ending is better, (laughs) which is a bit of a problem. What happened in your ending? Um, In my ending, I thought Will Smith didn't know that he was immune and that the cure would be in his blood and he'd been testing out different things as a virologist and he'd just been very lucky and very careful. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up, Wait, 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 wait. So a virologist who hasn't died despite everyone else ever (laughs) dying doesn't know he's immune. Yeah, uh, Yeah, that's right. And then wait for it. In a very dramatic moment at the end, when he's locked in the lab, he discovers the cure in his blood. And then at this point, my memory's a little bit hazy, but he somehow sprays the mutants with his blood and then it cures them on the spot, but it kills him. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> You've been alone too long. I'm not alone. I'm with the whole family. <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, they're not good for you. Something's gone wrong. Yeah, there's a reason I enjoy my work. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, that ending's rubbish though. But I like it. But it's it's not great. Yeah, I I don't know. I just visually can't get over the idea of like Will Smith, like I don't know, like cutting himself open like a spraying artery, like and sort of just sort of standing in the middle of like the dark seekers spraying them with his blood. Yeah, and another problem I had, the first time I saw this film and the second time, I thought they were being the mutants were being described as dark sleepers and I spent the whole film going, that doesn't make any sense because if you sleep in the dark, you're not nocturnal. What? <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Chris, I'm going to turn to you for some actual facts about this movie and not an imaginary movie with dark sleepers and a stupid Wilson with spraying blood everywhere. <laughs> well, I'm glad you came to me because I've read the book and I've seen all. I've seen almost all of the film versions. I, I've read the book. I've read the book. Sorry, I just want to. Uh, this is one of the books I've read. It's a big deal for me to have read a book. I've read the book. 
It's quite a short book, isn't it, Alex? <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah, it's not long, but it's good. I like the book. It's, it's good. Very good. By Richard Matheson, uh, of course, famous for writing a lot of Twilight Zone. Um, a lot of really cool, interesting sci-fi, but very different. Yeah, didn't to... he do Terror at 20,000 feet, 30,000 feet? That was him yeah. as well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But very different, the book is, to uh, the film. The main difference being that the uh, the vampires, um, and they are vampires in the book, uh, can talk and have brains and are, are just like us. They just look different and suck blood, but they are. Um, so they're able to have conversations with him and they're, you know, they have logic and thought and, uh, which this film completely does away with. But um, uh, yes. And how about the other films? Have you seen Last Man on Earth, the Vincent Price version, or Omega Man, the Charlton Heston version? I've seen the Omega Man. Yeah, it's good. I liked, I liked it. Yeah, it's. I, I quite enjoyed it. I think it's one of Tim Burton's favourite movies, actually. But it's a great film. Mm. And and this and in that one, the, the villains are kind of they they turn albino. And they 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 um they form a cult and they they're sort of out. It's it becomes an ideological war where they're out to destroy science and and tech and and, and restart um society. Uh, yeah, but I right, did yeah. this week. I did discover another version of the film I did not know existed from two thousand and seven. I am Omega, um, <laughs> which is which is by a, a company called the Asylum, who who also put out the Da Vinci Treasure and Snakes on a Train. <laughs> oh. yeah asylum they do yeah sharknado asylum they they do that thing where whenever a movie a big movie's coming out they do their own version of the movie and replicate the poster and the cover perfectly mm. uh and then just have to change the name slightly there was like battleship when battleship came out they did like warship and so, so they released i'm omega a month before i'm legend came out which i thought was funny <laughs> but, um, but yeah, yeah this had good. a long development process vicky are you gonna go into any of that or i mean i know the basics i know that there was there were a lot of different directors attached mm. um ridley scott who uh i think were gonna have arnold schwarzenegger in the lead role which would have been very different um and then rob bowman who went on to do reign of fire instead of this um which is one of our favorites but then eventually you get uh, francis lawrence and will smith mm. And, and yep. um, Mark Protasevich wrote the initial script that Ridley Scott and Arnold Schwarzenegger were going to do, I believe. And I actually read that last night because, uh, like everyone, I've got even more time on my hands now. And that's really interesting. I might talk about that once we've gone through this film a little bit. But um, it's a much, much better version of this story. Oh, <laughs> this is this is the original script. Yeah, they've retained a, they've retained a lot of what he put in his script, so he still has a, a co-screenwriter credit or a screenwriting credit. But um, yeah, it just goes in a very different direction. He's retained the fact that the villains can speak and are intelligent and are able to have conversations yeah. uh, with the heroes. So, yeah, because um, Ridley Scott was the one who kind of jettisoned him uh, initially and brought in uh, his screenwriter of choosing, John Logan, who obviously wrote Gladiator. Mm. And um, and then they worked on this script and it was Warner's um, sort of read this script and it was very low on action and very bleak. And they went, nah, can you put some action in it? Can you make it, I don't know, better? And they, uh, and then in the end, after like the budget just was still massive, and um, 
it was at the time when both Ridley Scott and Schwarzenegger's movies weren't doing so well, like 1492 and G.I. Jane and Eraser and Batman and Robin. They just sort of went, no, we're, we're going we're gonna to shut this down. And that's why the Ridley Scott version didn't happen. I quite would have I quite would have liked to have seen the uh, Michael Bay directing Will Smith in this, though. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry, that's just me. Bit of Bayhem. Bit of Bayhem in desolate New York. That would have been great. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it went through, as you say, a lot of iterations, but um, we ended up with Will Smith in 2007. Yeah, and he's, I think he's brilliant in it. And mm. I also think his dog is brilliant. So there we go. I say that, that's a big thing for me since I'm not a dog person. I don't like dogs, but I like this dog. You don't like dogs? Yeah, the dog. Not really, Do you no. think he doesn't... Everything's a coat to Vicky, Chris, you know that. <laughs> I just never grew. I didn't grow up with a dog as a, when I was, you know, uh, as a pet. So they, I do find them quite frightening because they people have only ever got two kinds of dog story. They grew up with a dog, they love dogs, or they got bitten horribly by a dog. So that's, and there's nothing in between. Yeah, I got bitten by a dog, and now I own a dog that's trying to bite other people. <laughs> <laughs> you see what I mean? Um, mm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a bit scared of dogs, but and I'm quite. And I'm, what's this? What's the dog in this? I don't know anything about dog types. Big police dog. It's a German Shepherd. German it's a shepherd. German Shepherd, and it's um, it's called Sam or Samantha in the film, and in real life it was called Abby. And you'll be pleased to hear that Abby is still alive in real life. Aww. She has retired from um, movies. She no longer makes movies, but uh, yeah, she was uh, apparently. Um, Steve Behrens, who was her trainer, said that uh, Will Smith was fabulous at working with Abby. Uh, he said, you work with a lot of actors that aren't that interested in the animal. A lot of them look at it as something that the audience is going to be looking at instead of them. But Will wasn't like that at all. So that's nice. I, I know that firsthand because I interviewed Will Smith um, and we talked a lot about Abby. <laughs> that's good. Well, let's just set hmm. up why Will Smith and his dog have got the run of the city. So we start with your classic news interview uh, and then a montage, I think. And we've got Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson, I completely forgotten, was in this. She's on the news. She's cured cancer. But unfortunately, she then also kills 90% of the world. To be fair to her, you can't say she didn't cure cancer. But we've only got a few people <laughs> yeah. left. Crippin, though you can't. I, I, if you call Doctor Crippin, it's a terrifying name. It's, I mean, think you just if she changed the name, I bet it wouldn't have gone this way. But you know why it's a terrifying name, don't you? It's based in on. I've, it's from history, right? But well, I couldn't remember what. Tell me, yeah, Doctor Crippin was me. was an American ear and eye specialist who was hanged in London for the murder of his wife in 1910. And he was the first oh, suspect to be captured with the aid of wireless telegrams because he was on a ship bound for Canada. And they sent a telegram to the ship saying, uh, or the ship sent a telegram saying, we think we've got your uh, your man on our boat. Really? Oh my God, Chris just out-murder knowledge you, Vicky. Yeah, I know, but because, because I love it so much, I'm just pleased. Like, that's incredible. I didn't know that. And I'm going to look it up. So that's why the name Crippen, Dr. Crippen, is kind of synonymous with evil. It's simply, it's, it's simply because of this guy. So that's why they picked that name. And that is in the very original, the very first script that Mark Prozanevich did. Uh, it's, it's Crippen in there as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Great. Ah, oh, <laughs> I'm rubbing that fact in my face. <laughs> Tilly Trivia so, is back. 
That's so brilliant. Uh, so because 90% of the world are dead, I think 1% of the population have immunity to what to the virus, Crippen's virus that's mutated. Um, and the rest of them, I think, have been eaten or something. New, essentially, New, yeah, New York is empty. And that's where we spend the, the first sort of uh, five, 10 minutes of the first act, which is establishing that New York is empty. Will Smith is driving around. And I think it's a Mustang um, trying to hunt gazelles, I think they are, uh, but competing with wild animals, specifically lions in um, trying to conquer New York City. So you've, you've just got the, uh, the, the cognitive dissonance of Manhattan is totally empty. Um, Not just any lions, though. Really? CGI lions? Yeah, rubbish rubbish <laughs> CGI lions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Computer-generated yeah, lions. Computer-generated lions, which I didn't think looked that bad. Um, but when we then get to the mutants, the dark... Wait a minute. Seeker, seekers. Dark Seekers. That CGI. No, 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 no. no, no. The dark, what, is it Seekers? I thought it was Dark Nappers. <laughs> dark Nappers. Dark nappers. <laughs> yeah. Um, the CGI there, I'm not a big fan of. Um, it makes them seem not at all scary, which is a bit of a shame. So I had a look at this because it was um, director Francis Lawrence who did not like the actors in prosthetics um, that were originally playing the Dark Seekers. And he went, and I don't really like them. I don't think they've got the energy that I want these Dark Seekers to have. I'm going to do them CGI. And so he mo-capped all the actors and did them as CGI. But I was sort of digging around and I found the makeup test that they did. Um, a guy called Steve Johnson, like a, a bit of a makeup guru, mm. um, released a video uh, of the makeup test for the Dark Seekers. You can find it on YouTube if you type in I am legend makeup test. And it's brilliant. It's really? like, why did you not go with that? They're horrible and scary and like just they, they feel tangible and not whatever the things are. I don't like them either, is my answer. I don't think they're very good, the Dark Seekers, in this. I think they're not very menacing. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's the, the original makeup test, get, have, give it a look, because it's great. Really, it's a shame that they didn't go down that route. Yeah. The only time they're scary is when Sam, the dog, runs into a dark warehouse and Will Smith has to follow her in because she's his best friend, his only friend in the whole world. And he's creeping around. The scene goes on for a long time and it's really tense. And he sneaks past, uh, I, I don't know, like a hive, a, a gathering, I don't know, a group of dark seekers. Yeah. And a they're sort school? Of, is it a school? school? Yeah. Horde. A horde? A ho it is a horde, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. A murder. A murder, a murder of dark seekers. Yeah. Um, and they're panting. And that's so weird and really scary. But apart from that, they weren't that scary. Um, That's right, because they're hyperventilating. It's actually one of the reasons that Francis Lawrence didn't want actors to play it, because he said, you can't have actors hyperventilate as much as I wanted the Dark Seekers to hyperventilate, because I think the whole premise of this virus is it opens your adrenal glands permanently or something, so you're always in this heightened, agitated state. And he said actors would eventually start passing out if I had them hyperventilating <laughs> to the degree that I want them doing. So that was his thinking anyway. Okay. I mean, that's fair enough. We don't want anyone to get hurt. Um, so we once we've rescued uh, Sam from the warehouse, there's a, there, also there's some work to establish what Will Smith's life is like and there's some flashbacks to show that he's lost his wife and child and to establish the, the virus that tore through the world really quickly. I mean, I think his life seems okay in his house. Like, he's been stockpiling. He hides in the bath when the sun goes down with a weapon but he wakes up in bed so to me i was like at some point you're getting some actual sleep doesn't seem that bad mm -hmm. he's got some wonderful pieces of art in there some basquiat and some george bracht 
Uh, I looked them up. I was good. I know this is really rude, but you didn't just know that, did you? Damn it. I wish I hadn't said I'd look them up now. I know, yeah. I would have believed uh, it because I can't yeah. see your lying face. <laughs> I reckon you'd know Basquiat if you know his stuff. Yeah. Well, he's clearly gone to the museums. Uh, what, the Guggenheim, let's say? Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. One of the museums in New York <laughs> and, uh, and helped himself to some art. Which, uh, why not? Why not? Uh, but there's also a lot of information we're given via newspaper clippings on fridges in this film as well. Uh, oh, a bit yeah, like yeah. Labs of 28 Days Later. But we find out there's a there's a, there's a a front page of, of Will Smith's character that says, uh, Saviour, Soldier, Scientist. Uh, yes. Now, Vicky, let's go back. Let's go back to your theory on this. So he's basically super fucking man. <laughs> he's, he's the best man for the job. Um, <laughs> Yeah, let's rewind a little bit. Um, I, I obviously, as is my nature, I will double down here <laughs> just to pick up my uh, tirade from last week. I do. I don't hate the conceit in this film for some reason that Will Smith is like the best man for the job, but I do think it's a bit off that he he is also a he's a virologist and he's immune. I don't yes. think he can be both. I just think that's a co- it's that's too, too much, much of a coincidence. coincidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but you know, it's unfair to the Martian. When I'm watching this, it's an it's an irksome thing, but it's not like oh god, fuck this. Oh. Film. Are you are you I saying know. you were unfair to the Martian, Vicky? Is that what you Possibly. just said? Yeah, yeah maybe. Is it because he he doesn't bang on about how good he is at solving all these things all the time, like the guy in the Martian does? Like in this, he's like, oh, why can't I solve it? Oh, I should be able to do it. I'm a superman as far as this issue is concerned, and yet I still cannot get it right whereas matt damon's gone oh uh i i'm perfect for this and well what you know it's worked Look at that. there's <laughs> yeah, the, some potatoes just grew those on mars in that original script which i will go back to a couple of times um he's a history teacher in the original script so there you oh, go see yeah he okay, would fulfill that so i wonder if they turned him into a superman um when uh will smith was cast i wonder if that's uh because i feel like there's some things we can get to later in this film where you wonder if it's part of you know, Will Smith can never really be a baddie in a movie. Yeah. He's a baddie. He's a... Hang on. He's, he's stockpiled a lot of pasta sauce, and that mm. is not cool at the moment. It's not cool. Not cool. It's, yeah. If you're the only person, it's cool, though. Yeah. Well, if he's the only person, then why is he putting out that message saying, meet me at the Brooklyn Bridge. I'll be there playing golf. Come say hi. I'm Will Smith. <laughs> he thinks there are other people out there. Other people who might also like a delicious pasta sauce. So I'll be there sitting with my back to the city and looking at the water, which is the opposite way round of how I should be sitting if I want to stay alive. <laughs> That's a good point. No, no, Chris, because they only come out at night, don't they? So in the middle of the day, he's fine. What if he falls asleep? Yeah, but let's talk about the... Um... The broadcast. What's interesting about the broadcast, given that we've watched quite a few films in the last couple of weeks where people are stuck, this one, the broadcast is not asking for help, which is really interesting. He's offering help. He never says, this is where I am, come and find me, as in rescue me. Mm. He says, I've got some pasta sauce if you want to share. It's totally up to you. <laughs> That's the same as the broadcasting 28 days later, isn't it? They're, that broadcast no, is like, that, yeah. one says, no, that one says we found a cure, though, basically, doesn't it? It says we found the solution. Oh, yeah. yeah, so they're over promising, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about um, there's Will Smith. Is he sliding into insanity in a cute way, or is he fucking legitimately 
off his rocker. Um, he's talking to mannequins for quite a long time. And then the mannequins move and it freaks him out, which I found difficult because he, he Will Smith sort of wanders into a trap which has been set by someone, uh, a mutant, moving his mannequins. But he seems to be desperate for company. He seems to be sad to be alone. So when it's clear that someone else is interacting with him, communicating in some way, his first instinct is to shoot the shit out of the mannequin um, rather than thinking that might be a person reaching out to him. And that didn't fit for me with what he said he wants. Yeah, in much the same way as 28 Days Later seems like it's a bit rich that they're like, we're now going to have sex with women and repopulate the world from our base. He's like, it's been 28 days, so chill out. This is a bit like... <laughs> Wait, are you thinking of are you thinking of having sex with that mannequin? Because three years isn't that long. Like, it's not that long. Like, you know. Don't you think they missed a trick not casting Kim Cattrall as one of the mannequins? <laughs> Catch that. Um, yeah, and and that trap that that that, that they've set the Dark Seekers have set up. It's similar to that. I guess they're copying the trap that he set up for them, which I didn't really understand that trap. If I'm being honest. Um, not quite sure how it worked, but what I feel they miss here is he's he you know via his videos or whatever flashbacks he says that they ignore basal survival instincts they they're socially de evolving and um, the typical human behavior is now absent. Now the fact that they've seen his trap, copied it, and managed to pull it off yeah. to trap him would tell me that there is human behavior there where he yeah, doesn't seem to acknowledge so... that. It's, yeah, it doesn't work at all. Someone has set a trap, which means someone is smart. But when he talks about the mutants risking stepping out into the light and the social de-evolution, he says they've got, they may, maybe they've got reduced brain function, which is the opposite of becoming smart. It doesn't make any sense. Mm. And that's why we're, we're, we'll, we'll talk about it when we do the alternate ending. But I, I think this all makes sense when you do the original ending, but the new ending, it, it just goes nowhere, which I think is a shame. Yeah. Um, so eventually, here. Oh, that's it. Samantha dies. Oh, I almost forgot. Oh yeah. God! How could you forget that? That's the most powerful scene in the movie. That it's, is yeah. so upsetting. It's because I don't give a shit about dogs. That's why. Yep. <laughs> That'll do it. That <laughs> will do it. So when I spoke to Will Smith, um, he talks about this scene. I don't think I, I couldn't find it anywhere else, but he, apparently that scene was very close to not being in the movie because the head of uh, Warner Brothers at the time, or at least a high up executive in charge of the movie, was a huge dog fan, and he was just like, "This this scene absolutely is not going in the film because it's awful, it's harrowing, mm. it's nasty. I'm not having it." And really fought uh, to not have it in, but in the end, he lost, and they got the scene in. And I'd argue it's it's probably the most emotional scene. In the in the whole film, yeah. depending on your opinion of dogs, uh, yeah, I think there's a more emotional scene when his wife and child are killed. Uh, but whatever, we've got different priorities. I don't think I, I see. I would I'm with Alex on this because the way the way it's presented, you don't even see the what you know. You, you they just allude to the fact that a helicopter gets hit, and we get no real reaction. Whereas here, we're, we're dead we're dead close to Will Smith's face, and that's all we're seeing. We're not seeing him kill the dog. We're just seeing his reaction as he has to strangle that dog to death. Um, yeah. That's messed up. I just think, no, I think that's the flashbacks when he's on Brooklyn Bridge and he's saying goodbye to his family and his little girl gives him Samantha as a puppy so you can sort of sense the, the time um, that's passed. 
and the puppy licks his face and the look he gives to his wife and child is like, yeah, uh, all right, fine. I, I, I do love this dog, this dog. And it's just, it's a micro thing. It's a tiny thing, but that's that's fantastic acting because he's, he knows he's never going to see his family again and he still has the time and the emotional capacity to make a little joke with them. That's more impactful for me. Um, did you think this, this I'm only asking because this annoyed me a second time around. Um, the fact that, Samantha is Samantha and not a boy dog is presented I don't know if it's the fault of the film but it comes over as like a twist and I was really annoyed first time around I was like oh shit it's a girl dog I never thought he'd have a girl dog and then I was <laughs> you know and then I was annoyed again because I was surprised by it again because I'd forgotten and then I was annoyed at myself for also being surprised like it's such a stupid thing to be like oh but he can also love women girl thing (laughs) I know I think you're right I didn't annoy me but I do think um and not just based on the name but based I don't know whether it's meant to be like a a twist as you say but you do think that's a boy dog for the whole of the movie like because of the I I don't know it's sort of I think it's because you know what I think it is I think it's because he confides in the dog about like the mannequin he fancies. There's a ah. sentence you don't hear very often. <laughs> yeah. uh, he confides in the dog about the mannequin he fancies in a way that a bloke would confide in their mate. Yes. Uh, another bloke, not a woman. <laughs> yeah, that is that is what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's not the name. It's the fact that he has a blokey chat with the dog, which turns out to be a woman. Now I'm wondering the kind of conversations you have with your dog, Alex. Don't bite the jogger. Stop chasing the jogger. Leave the fucking jogger alone. As if joggers haven't got enough to worry about at the moment. You're adding this to the oh, equation. Oh, yeah. There's a war coming, Chris, and it's it's not with between us and the coronavirus. It's between joggers and dog walkers, and I know which side I'm on. There's enough room for us all, okay? Not that I'm a jogger. Sorry, just to clear that right up. <laughs> I just I just hate dogs that much that I can see which way I'd go in this war. If I had to. Um, so then, skipping somewhere, uh, Will Smith has been testing out his cure, his possible cure on rats, and then he also tests out one on a captured mutant. So we'll come back to that because that's the sort of the end. Um, but his uh, after Samantha dies, he sort of does a bit of a suicide move on the pier and he's rescued by a woman called Anna and a, a young charge of hers, although I'm not sure if it's her son, called Ethan, I think. Um, and then we get a little... <laughs> I love that expression. A young charge of hers. Yes. That's so good. Yeah. Correct. Um, so now they're in Will Smith's house watching Shrek, getting bollocks about eating the special bacon. And it turns out she... I think she's fucking mad and he should throw her out of his house. But she's heard about a colony in Vermont, which very handily you can drive to in one one turn of the sun so that you don't um, have to camp out at night. And she tries to convince him to come along and, and he's not up for it. He wants to stay here. This is his ground zero and he wants to fix something that isn't his fault, but nonetheless. Yeah, I feel like the film should get a real new lease of life, sort of an hour in when we meet these new characters. He's got people to talk to. Um, but I felt I feel like the stuff with Anna and Ethan is just so lifeless and so dull. Yeah, the the bit with Shrek is so weird. It doesn't it's work, so does it? You've got you've got uh, Will Smith doing Eddie Murphy's dialogue to the kid, and mm. I don't know how's the kid supposed to react to that. It's done <laughs> done in such a strange way. Like no one's laughing. No one. It's 
it's creepy. It's really creepy. Yeah, it's creepy. It's creepy, and it also would have required a hell of a lot of time to memorise that amount of dialogue in the perfect pace of that movie. So he's really not putting in the hours to finding this cure because he's sitting up there on his sofa memorising Shrek. What a waste of everyone's time. And also Shrek, of all the movies to watch that many times. I mean, I don't hate Shrek, but I I imagine he can get any movie out of the mannequin-populated video store that he's built for himself. So (laughs) I just don't know that Shrek could be like my go-to. Now, well, I think the implication is that he watched it a lot with his daughter. Yeah, but Alex is right. You could pick something that's got more like of a fable that relates to his situation. But then I thought maybe Shrek does. Um, I can't really remember how it ends. I don't know. He should have been, he should have memorised the Omega Man. That would have been useful. <laughs> that non-children's film. Yeah, I was just saying, Ethan ain't going to sit there watching the Omega Man. Um, and equally weird, I think, is that Anna um, has, has, has heard of Damien Marley but has never heard of Bob Marley. Ridiculous. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. There's no one in the world that, that has that. Um, no. And then he says that one of the best... How do we get into, how, how do we, how do we get into the Bob, Bob Marley monologue? Oh, well, she knows Damien Marley. You know, but really, how do we get into it? No, 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 she knows Damien Marley. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a funny... It's a great, it's a great joke, but we're all, we're all working here. How do we get into that? <laughs> and then he says, Legend by Bob Marley is one of the best albums ever made. It's a greatest hits. It's not an album. Oh, man, you're kidding <laughs> me. Is that true? It's like when... it's like. That, that the guy asked Alan Partridge what his favourite Beatles album is, and he says, "Oh, he I, says the red one." <laughs> no, he says, "I think I'd have to say the best of the Beatles." <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it just made me think of that. If he thinks, if 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 this, if Will Smith thinks that the best of Bob Marley is an album, I want him to die. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's get to that. Um, <laughs> so in in rescuing uh, Will Smith, Anna has inadvertently uh, led a trail for the set a trail for the mutants. So now they know where he lives. Even even though they've even though he said to her as he was passing out, don't let them track us. Stay out till dawn. This yeah. bloody women are just bloody trouble. Listen, we can't, yeah, but because we can't think about one more than one thing at a time, and she is driving, to be fair. He was so... fine for three years. He meets a woman within 24 <laughs> hours, he's fucking dead. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, uh, anyway, um, so the zombies things, mutants are storming the house. They run down to the lab, and he's got, he realizes his cure works. So the mutant that he's been testing on, she has gone back to her, her usual color, her breathing has slowed down. Um, by putting her on ice, he's like sped up the compound or something like that. They lock themselves in the, I don't know, like a panic room within a lab. Um, he realizes the cure works. So he gives Anna one vial of his blood, just one. That's madness. Like, if you knew the cure was in your blood, you would ch- more than one vial is what I'm saying. And um, sort of puts her into a bit of a tunnel. <laughs> yeah, or maybe maybe not sacrifice himself. Maybe go. Where is there more of my blood? <laughs> yeah. Inside an alive me. <laughs> I could give you one vial, or I could get in the tunnel with you. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then he sacrifices himself. I'm not sure why. And Anna is then seen making it to Vermont to a, a secure colony. And presumably saves the world from that point. So, Chris, why don't you talk about the alternate ending? Because that ending is shit. 
Well, quickly, just to, before we do the alternate ending, we should reference the fact that it, it's because we revert back to why it's called I Am Legend because he becomes a legend for saving humanity by sacrificing himself to let them escape with the blood. So it's it just I, 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 we need to establish the status of like him as a legend and it's verbalized at the end of that ending. That's it. Um. And also, you have in that final moment when she reaches Vermont, you have narration for the first time, which I think is a shame because all these films we've done recently, Quiet Place, Bird Box, Castaway Moon, Martian, 20 Days Later, this one, they've all revolved around a rough theme and they've all managed to have people on their own but not using narration. And this film was doing mm. so well until the final 30 seconds. That's um, a really good point. With narration that I don't think we needed. It was unnecessary. And you've got through the that whole was- film without it there's plenty and also we've got through the whole film like you say with no one else to talk to she Anna's in a colony there was tons of ways of getting that information mm. across mm. that's a, such a good point it was a shame I do think we need to I do think it needs to they do need the line like he be you know he became a, like this idea that he will go on throughout the future uh, being people recounting his legend and what he did because it's in the book and I don't think it happens in the other ending Chris yeah, well, the other ending, he's down in the basement um, with the, uh, the Dark Seekers uh, are after him, and he's got their female, uh, the woman Dark Seeker, on a gurney that he's been experimenting on. And the out, al- they call him in the script, they call him the Alpha Dark Seeker. You see that he's kind of appalled and upset at the state she's in. So we start seeing this compassion and a bit of humanity in these creatures that, as I say, is alluded to earlier in the film, but never sort of pays off. And maybe that even that, you know, they have the capacity to feel love. And 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 they're looking at Neville, at Will Smith, in, in it, that he's been the one who's kidnapping and experimenting on them. So maybe he's been the villain all along. So there's this moment of sort of recognition between that alpha male and Will Smith and, and, and Will even apologises to him. Um, and he, he brings out their, their, their woman and uh, gives her back and they leave without harming him. And then he sort of left sitting on the floor contemplating who the real monster was in front of the pictures of all the other dark seekers that he's experimented on and killed. And uh, and then he escapes to Vermont with Anne and Ethan, Anna and Ethan as well. So it's a very different ending. It is. It's a good ending. Uh, and I like it. I, I do think it's, it's a better ending, but... It's sort of in this weird halfway house. In the in the ending that the the movie goes for, the original movie where he dies sacrificing himself, you understand why it's called I Am Legend. In the book, you understand why it's called I Am Legend because the vampires in the book can speak and they basically you know point out that he has become this boogeyman to them because he's killed so many of them and he's like he is a legend in the scary sense this monster who kills all the vampires and it's very clear in the book with the ending you've just described chris i i I don't know how the title works because the dark seekers can never sort of verbalize and you don't really get the feel that they they sort of allude to him being this monster that's killed them but you never quite get the legendary Status. I I don't see the I am legend in it. I don't know how the title works. Change the title then. I mean, I've never I've never liked the title. Yeah, Yeah, I've never liked the title. I've never been bothered by it. It's interesting that the other adaptations called it Last Man on Earth and a Mega Man. Um, Yeah. That original script. I'll just tell you a little bit about that. Um, uh, The Dark Seekers, as I said, could speak, and we learn about them how they're sort of divided up. 
they've got hierarchy that you've got caretakers and then clerics and warriors and lieutenants. And there's a lot more interesting stuff going on with the flashbacks when I think Will Smith's family die in a more interesting way. There's there's more of a Walking Dead kind of thing going on with survivalists living. How in do they die? Um, so uh, let me find that bit. So uh, the, their daughter has leukemia. And so uh, Will Smith manages to get the drug to give to the daughter, but it turns the daughter and then the daughter needs blood or she's going to die. And so the mum feeds herself to the daughter. Uh, oh my god the daughter, still, <laughs> the daughter still dies and then the wife turns and then uh uh will smith ha- sorry uh, neville has to kill his wife um <laughs> so that's all pretty heavy but there's a there's a there's an interesting ending as well where he he finds the sort of he finds the society and culture they're developing and he there's a big sort of standoff and fight and he finds that they've got a room full of humans who they are draining blood from and using and so he kills the villains and, and the older people are left there, but he escapes with this woman that he's been with and there and the children that were being kept prisoner. And so he escapes to, to start, try and start society again um, with them on his tail. So I don't know. There just seem to be a bit more going on in, in that version. They, they cut it. They cut everything interesting out about the villains out so that they could concentrate on Neville. I just wonder if what Neville does is interesting enough for the sort of the, the hour and 40 minutes of this film. I think there's uh, there's something in that. I I really need to read that script. I mean, that was a good interpretation. I like the bit where the the, the mother feeds herself to her offspring. Mm. That sounded cool. Mm. But I probably want to read it. I'll send and it. And you're to right. You. It's sort of there is a there is a lot of Will Smith sort of like they make a, they make a lot of like this desolate New York. Um, I think they. I think Will Smith tells a funny story about how they really pissed off a lot of New Yorkers shooting that movie because they literally shot down, uh, shut down street after street to film on the streets of New York. Because Francis Lawrence said it had to be shot on New York's streets; it wouldn't work on a soundstage. And Will Smith goes, "Yeah, when I was shooting that in New York, uh, I just remember a lot of New Yorkers." Uh, like looking at me and going, hey, Will, you're number one, you're number one. I mean, I couldn't hear them, but they were holding up this one finger at me, so I'm guessing that's what they meant. <laughs> He's so classic, cute. Classic Will. Yeah. Yeah. All right, any more for any more, or do you want to do the bits? Do the bits. Let's do the bits. Uh, all right, then. Okay. Best scene. Uh, the best scene is the blowing up Brooklyn Bridge because it looks cool sick <laughs> yeah, and it was expensive so I think it's right that I should say that Alex the most expensive shot ever filmed in New York I believe five million dollars and mine what? is what they blew up yeah. they blew up Brooklyn Bridge yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, amazing. That's, amazing. that's amazing that's amazing they rebuilt it yeah and then just yeah. rebuilt it yeah that amazing yeah, it's just like well, the, the 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 production team on Ghostbusters two had to rebuild the Statue of Liberty after they used it for yeah, that. Yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah, never knew that. It's a thing that happens in New York a lot. It's like one big movie set there. <laughs> uh, my favorite scene is uh, the start. I really like the start when he's driving the Ford Mustang uh, around the empty streets of New York, hunting that stag. I think it's a really cool opening to a film. Yeah, I'm, I've gone for that as well. That's the money shot. So it's my same as my answer for Twenty Eight Days Later. But I think. Um, those are what you come away from these films remembering i think are those are those mm-hmm. scenes so yeah i'm saying that uh mvw alex will smith 100 percent. i think he's great in this i really do i think you know i mean i know he talks about it being like his most challenging role um after ali um I, but i'd i'd agree like i think at this point we'd seen will smith doing a lot of 
uh, comedy. And mm. or if not comedy, then wisecracking in you know action movies. And we'd never seen him do anything like this. And I, I think he he does it really really well. So Will Smith is my MVW. Vicky. Yes, I agree with Alex. I think um, an actor that can not only flirt with a mannequin in quite a sexy way, uh, but then get a bit sad when the mannequin doesn't respond to his overtures is quite an impressive thing to be able to do. So Will Smith also. Yeah, I mean, I had that written down and I even wrote what you said, Alex, no wisecracking. Like it was seeing a different side to him, showcasing all of his talents. Um, But... As you've both gone for Smith, I'm going to go for Abby. (laughs) Abby! She's so nice, like Abby. And what would you change, Vicky? Uh, just to just take the CGI mutants away and just put just put people there, I think would just make such a difference to um, an emotional response to the film. Like I just wasn't scared or bothered about them at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got the same thing. I do think you know there's no threat. You know, you just literally when you see them running at his house, you just go, yeah. But if someone just turned off the mains to the computer they're using to power those graphics, they'd be gone in a second. You want something like tangible like something something that feels like menacing and they don't mm. and um and so uh, yeah i just i just go uh, people should look at the um i am legend makeup test on youtube and see what they could have been uh i am gonna say that the, the the ending the alternate ending like i said for the last film thank you for this one um you know the book the other versions of this they're all about examining making us question who the real monster is in this story and so having will smith sit there contemplating that and you can see it you know it's it's on it's online um that alternate ending it's really powerful and i think it just the the ending that we've got it just doesn't mean i mean he sacrifices himself as i feel like the hero is expected to in this situation but it doesn't really mean anything so um, I would have had a different ending or even shot that original script because mm-hmm. I do think it's much more interesting and it is online a bunch of places. So um, if you are interested in it, just Google it and you will find. Brilliant. Well, that brings us to the end <laughs> of I Am Legend and 28 Days Later before the verdict. Chris, did I hear you have a quiz? I do have a quiz. I do Great. have a quiz based on the fact that these two are definitely zombie movies. <laughs> They are, yeah. I don't know who suggested otherwise. So I have... I'm going to give you a bunch of titles of zombie movies and I want you to tell me if they are real or if I have made them up. (laughs) True or false, I want from you. So uh, kicking off with Zombie Academy. (laughs) True. True. It is false. I made that up. Oh, come on. I thought it was Police Academy, but for zombies, where there was a Steve Guttenberg zombie who was the cheeky zombie. See, that's why I did it. Yeah, like a a training school for zombies, but it's a brilliant idea. (laughs) You should write that down. I've actually, some of the titles I came up with, I'm actually not using because I I thought they were good ideas for actual films, which I'll talk to you about afterwards. (laughs) 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 But, um, okay, uh, film two, Zombievers. True. (laughs) 
true. It is true. Yeah. Actually, it, is, it is true. I've actually seen I've it. Seen the, I've seen a box of this. Yeah, this is this is this looks feels like another asylum kind of movie. It's beavers swimming towards the car- swimming towards the uh, out of the cover uh, with red eyes and big like zombie teeth. I think. Yeah, I've seen it. It's from 2014, and it's about a fun weekend turned into madness and horror for a bunch of groupies looking for fun in a beaver infested swamp. Uh, okay. Well. <laughs> Uh, zombie babysitters. Well, um, false. False. Correct. I made that up. Uh, Yankee Doodle Zombie. <laughs> if it's true, it's rubbish. But so false. I'm, I'm saying false. You're both correct. I made that up. Uh, Dead and breakfast. <laughs> oh, true. False. Uh, that is a point to Vicky. It is true. Oh, dead and breakfast. 2004, a night at a local bed and breakfast turns into a bloody supernatural fight to the death. Uh, (laughs) Such a good title. uh, Beverly Hills Body Snatchers. Mm, True. False. Another point to Vicky. Um, A doctor, it's from 1989, a doctor and a mortician have teamed up to do reanimation experiments on corpses using gangsters' money that they have on loan. Uh, (laughs) Dwarf of the Dead. Uh, false. False. <laughs> You're both correct. Uh, I made that up. Uh, zombies. <laughs> true. Uh, true. You are both correct. Uh, that is about a, vi- a zombie virus spreading through a zoo. From 2006. Wow. <laughs> Doesn't even work that title, really. Um, Juan of the Dead. <laughs> true. I really hope it's true. Is that what you're saying, Vicky? Uh, no, I'm going to say false. Oh, point to Alex. Uh, oh. That is true for 2011. I've seen this. I know the director, and it's set in Cuba. Uh, it's really, it's a really, really good zombie movie. Uh, Deadly Medley. <laughs> uh, true. False. Alex is correct. It's false. I made it up. Uh, you're neck and neck right is now. Is that one of the ones that you're going to be developing into a feature? No, I've not strong. used the ones I'm going to develop. <laughs> I'm keeping them secret. Uh, okay, uh, zombie strippers. Did you say slippers or strippers? <laughs> zombie strippers. Oh, true. <laughs> true. Uh, uh, that is true. Uh, I have seen it. It stars Jenna Jameson. Um Okay, next one. Chopper chicks in zombie any, town. Any, any, any good? Is it? Is it good? Oh, it's bloody awful. I mean, it's bloody awful. Uh, okay. Uh, Chopper chicks in zombie town. True. You are both correct. Chopper chicks in zombie town exists. I've seen that one as well. That's from 1989. Uh, die you zombie bastards. <laughs> False. I'm gonna say true. Point to Alex, it's true. Uh, lovable serial oh. killer Red Tool sets off on a globetrotting quest in search of his missing wife, and that's from 2005. Uh, driving Miss Deadly. <laughs> true. Uh, false. That's a point to Alex. I made that shit up. Um, Why? Frank, don't, Frank don't give Booker. that gold away. That's incredible. <laughs> uh, Frankenhooker. True. Uh, false. It's true. 
point to Alex there. 1990, oh. I've seen that one. A medical student sets out to re recreate his decapitated fiance by building her a new body made of Manhattan street prostitutes. Although that should say sex. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Flight of the Living Dead. Uh, true. False. That is true. Point to Vicky. Oh, really? Uh, from 2007. Uh, I won't tell you the synopsis because I think it speaks for itself, but it's about a zombie <laughs> outbreak on a plane. Uh, Raiders of the Living Dead. Uh, true. False. That is true. Another point to Vicky. 1986. Uh, set on a remote island, a bloke travels there and finds a mad scientist, lives there and is creating zombies. Uh, give us this day our daily dead. <laughs> false. It's too long. False. Yeah. That is false. I made that up. Uh, detention of the dead. How many of these are there? There's, There's two, left. two left. Two left. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, true. False. That is true. Uh, Vicky gets that correct. You are both on 12 and there's only one left. Brilliant. So uh, the final film I'm going to ask you for is Poultrygeist. <laughs> it's so good if it's true, but I think it sounds like something you've made up, so it's false. <laughs> I'm going to say true because I want to believe there is someone in this world that has done a chicken ghost movie. <laughs> Alex wins the quiz. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. 2006. Uh, zombified chickens attempt to kill the fast food workers that cook them in a restaurant built on an ancient burial ground. Brilliant. Oh, lovely. And Look I've, at that. There you go. And I've seen it and it's very funny. <laughs> Marvellous. What a lovely quiz. Thanks for that, Chris. Shall we do the verdict? Do it. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! So, 28 Days Later goes up against I Am Legend. I will begin, if that's all right. Do you happy with that, Chris, if I start? Of course. Just get mine out of the way. Um, I like both these movies, actually. I enjoyed both of them. I think both of them are flawed, but um, the flaws for me are bearable. I had a very enjoyable double bill. Uh, however, purely because I um, like to be able to um, see... Clearly, on um, my TV, what I'm watching and understand what's going on, and I really did. I, I, I honestly struggled with 28 Days Later, and I, I don't know why because I've seen it before and I didn't struggle with it. And I think I've just become so accustomed to high definition visuals and like you know quality viewing that um, it was a real struggle for me to get into the movie with that barrier of not clearly being able able to see exactly what was going on so i am legend wins it for me vicky uh so i feel bad about this but everything alex has just said i agree with completely um but like <laughs> everything he's not there's nothing i'm like yeah he's got a good point but like it's such a shallow reason in some ways but I Am Legend is just slicker and it's just easier to watch like I think 28 Days Later it was it's so good what it did and it was so groundbreaking and it is such a thrill the scenes with Empty London and Killian Murphy is brilliant and I love Danny Boyle but oh I was just like why does it look so cheap and why why does it look so why is it so difficult to watch and I think the rain drenched ninja stuff at the end. I was just like, no, I must. I don't know. I don't. I wasn't into that. So, just purely based on what I would watch again, it's I am legend. Whoa, we have a winner! I am legend already. What would you have gone for, Chris? Um, well, I'm not superficial like you two. 
I'm I'm not about how something looks. I'm about what's underneath the surface. I always have been, always will be. And I think with these films, you've got to have strong metaphor or allegory, or you've got to give the monsters a personality and explore what's driving them, or you've got to make the movie about society and the breakdown. And because I'm Legend does none of those, I don't think you're left with much at the end of the day, apart from something that looks really cool and has a good performance. So I, I would have gone for, and I am going for, 20 Days Later, because it does explore those themes and therefore has a bit more depth and emotional nuance. Wow, well, that's nice that 28 Days Later got one back at the end there, but I Am Legend is the winner this week. What do you think about that, dear Clash Podders? Uh, hit us up on Twitter, at ClashPod, and using hashtag ClashComment to let us know whether you think I Am Legend is the right winner this week. That's it for this week, though. Who is picking next week's films? Uh, that's me. Great. So- yeah. Uh, Chris, I would like you to watch, I think it's from 2013, it's This Is The End. Mm-hmm. Um, and Alex, I think this is also from 2013, it's The World's End. Okay, not to try and undermine your decision-making. Chris, do you have any interest in swapping, only because you sort of know a lot about Edgar Wright's CV, and I would genuinely spend an entire show with you go no that's interesting alex but just to quote edgar from the last time we had a chat about this are you up for swapping that's funny because it's true <laughs> yeah really? yeah definitely yeah i'm I, I went on the set of the world's end um yeah i'd love to do that one exactly exactly all right you do the world's end and i'll do this is the end vicky is that okay uh, apart from the fact that you've set a very worrying precedent uh yeah that's absolutely fine <laughs> <laughs> um All right, brilliant, lovely stuff. Thank you very much for listening. Please do rate and review us and subscribe to us and all the rest of it. Hope you're doing all right out there and we'll be back in a week with This Is The End versus The World's End. Bye-bye for now. This was a Stakhanov production.